What is going on you guys and welcome back to another video. My name is Brandon. Today I'm joined with my father, Mark, and we have developed a list of our top stocks that we would want to own for 20 years out. And this is actually going to be a fun video. This is not a battle per se, dad. In fact, it's actually, I'd say more of a collaboration because we have not told each other what our picks are and they're very well maybe overlap. But I think the idea behind this is that we're going to go through a kind of a quick bull case about five stocks that we see being good holds in the portfolio. Like I said, for a couple decades out. And I think it will just be, um, it'll be interesting to see what the difference is, where there is overlap more or less. I mean, that's kind of the topic of today's video. We're going over five stocks each that, uh, yeah, 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 and we may have some overlap. We don't know what each which, what each other has chosen, and the the premise that we threw out was if you could only buy five stocks, that was your entire portfolio, and you couldn't trade them for twenty years, what would you? What pick? would it and look the, like? Right. What would it look like? And and sort of the concept really is to see, uh, you know, what what goes into selecting a, a, a company, and I'm going to call it a company, not a stock in this case, because. Uh, you know, we always look at buying shares of companies rather than individual stocks. And so what are the things that you factor in? Things like, I mean, number one, I would suggest is you, you would want to pick something that you're comfortable will be here in 20 years. Mm -hmm. You know, if you buy something and it's a, it's a flash in the pan and you know, three years out, it's, it's out of business, uh, that wouldn't be very good. Things like, do we, uh, are we true to Canada? We're Canadian investors predominantly, or do we go globally or heavily in the mm -hmm. U.S.? Um, right. Things that I would look at are, um, are we buying companies that are in sectors or industries that A, are stable, but mm -hmm. B, are growing? And I, I'm curious to see what your picks are, Brandon, because there might be a little difference, a generational difference here where I might lean more towards industries that I have a high level of comfort and are more proven, whereas you may, as a younger investor, choose more disruptive type industries. Uh, with mm -hmm. a higher potential for for growth there we'll see you know we'll see where, where that comes out uh, very we'll curious see. to see what you picked um you know yeah. things like are, are they are these companies leaders in their industry uh, i would suggest uh, we should pick companies that have a wide global market reach as opposed to a niche um, mm -hmm. again just because uh, we're holding these for a long long time right for sure so, and yeah. and i think that that's exactly right coming in with that approach we, we can't buy, if the way we're approaching this is you're not gonna be able to buy and sell and trade within this period. It's, hey, what's an investment that I can buy and hold for this period through the recessions, through the dips, through the good times, mm -hmm. through the bad times, and mm -hmm. that all kind of factors into the stocks we picked. But hey, before we dive in, guys, I will ask everyone watching to quickly drop a thumbs up as well. Leave a comment down below, first of all, with the stocks that we pick, whether you like them or not, whether you're with them or against them, but also if you had to pick five stocks, what would they be? And there may again be some overlap, um, maybe stocks that we never even considered, but do leave that down below. As always, we do have our academy down below too, uh, if you wanna check that out. But again, we've talked for a long time. Let's dive into this, Dad. Sure. And why don't I take things off? Let me just take the screen here. Uh, we'll get you back up in a moment. But my first pick is one that I've covered on the channel so many times, but it was a clear first pick for me. It's the company Brookfield Asset Management. So the ticker for this one is BAM.A.TO. It trades for about $75 Canadian. So it's listed on both the Canadian and US market. Uh, question for you, Dad, was this one of your stocks or am I clear to go? Clear to go. Uh, Brookfield Beautiful. was on my short list, but I yep. didn't uh, select it in the end yet. Beautiful. Well, I got nothing but confidence in this company over the long term. Looking back over the performance, as you mentioned, it's important to know, you know, how is the stock going to perform over long periods? And you do have the drawdowns nonetheless during the major recessions like 2008, 
Uh, this company is of course tied to the finance sector. They're tied to real estate, which like many other companies, no one's really exempt from these times. The companies do draw down, but they have come out stronger each and every period. And Brookfield Asset Management, just to read here their overview for those who are not familiar, is a leading global alternative asset manager with over $625 billion in assets under management across real estate, infrastructure, renewables, renewable power, private equity, and credit. Our objective is to generate attractive long-term adjust risk-adjusted returns for the benefit of our clients and shareholders. Brookfield Asset Management is of course the parent company of various divisions, but a chart that I wanna look back to look at some historical returns. This one dates back to 1995. So we're looking at about a 20, 25 year period. Share price increase of over $2,000 during the past couple of decades. The dividend itself, although not a large one, has grown by 655%. This got you an annual return over this period of 2,691%. And important here, the annualized average return of 13.23 over this period. Now, when you compare that up to the TSX, which we know kind of ranges in that five, six, 7% range, slightly lower than the S&P, this is significant outperformance over that period. And I would anticipate that going forward. I've talked about this before, but Brookfield has one of the best management teams out there in terms of the transparency that they have with shareholders. They do quarterly letters, basically in as simple terms as they can get it to let you know what's happening within the company. That includes the good. That also includes what struggles they're facing. I have a lot of trust in the CEO, Bruce Flatt, which you need to do if you're gonna be investing in a company over long periods. And one thing that's important is that this company has a very long-term vision in mind. It's a company that I expect would leverage their size and that massive AUM number that we talked about. They can continue to scale that on a global level. And of course, this company is headquartered in Toronto, so we are looking at a Canadian investment, but they do have investments all over the world. And this map that you're looking at is taken from 2020, so the numbers have grown since then. But most importantly, a statistic that I think is huge for this company is the alternative asset space is a rapidly growing field of investment. This is a study done by Wills Tower Watson Global Pension Asset Studies. It is back in 2020, but it's a very, very clear picture that they're painting that alternative assets is the place you want to be over the coming decade and beyond. So in my opinion, Brookfield is just perfectly positioned to capitalize on this. It's a stock that I would consider a core position in my portfolio. It gives you that Canadian exposure, but also the global presence. I would be happy holding this stock for 20 years and beyond, but that's actually my first pick for today's video. Uh, any thoughts on that one? Oh, I love it. Like I say, uh, BAM was on my short list. And uh, for all the reasons you mentioned, and, and I like most um, specifically, I like the diversification. So there's lots of uh, yeah. streams, different lines of revenue. So they, they'll be able to uh, sort of mitigate any ups and downs in the market and um, the bent towards the uh, alternatives. Uh, that's yeah, very big at, in the coming when, years. Yeah. When you look at themes that are that are going to be um, uh, forming or have formed, uh, really important when you're looking 20 years out. So no, I I think uh, I think Brookfield Asset Management is a uh, a great choice to have on our list. Thank you, Dad. Well, I'll yeah. give you the screen here, and yeah, have sure. at it with your first pick. Okay. Well, my first pick is a uh, is Amazon, and I'm curious, Brandon, being a younger investor, and Amazon being relatively a younger company, um, is that one of the ones that was on your list, or? No, I mean, it did make my short list as well, but uh, believe it or not, I actually left Amazon off the list and I can kind of explain why with one of my later picks, but uh, yeah. Go ah, sure, sure sounds good. That's, uh, that'll be interesting to, to hear. So yeah, I did choose Amazon and uh, you know, when you look at what, what makes up the economy, obviously retail is such a huge part of that. And, and Amazon, I sort of look at as a couple of different
different companies. I look at them as obviously the retailer with their online presence in, in both uh, you know, North American or US-based and, um, and uh, internationally. But also, of course, for those of you who are familiar, Amazon has the AWS or the Amazon Web Services, and that makes up uh, right now about uh, just over a quarter of their business overall. That is going to continue growing as, as we go out. When I look at Amazon, I'll throw up a, a, a chart here that shows the various streams of revenue. Uh, online stores, as I mentioned, AWS, third-party selling services, as we know, is a big part of that. Uh, they have physical stores uh, now, of course, with uh, Whole Foods. Uh, they have some bookstores, etc. cetera, uh, subscription services, and then about $17 billion in what they classify as other, and it's you know ad revenue, co-branded credit cards, uh, that type of thing. When we look at uh, the, uh, one of the big reasons I really love Amazon, aside from the growing and just how innovative the company has been, and this is a this was a disruptor, obviously, um, is the um, the attention that they're paying right now to the cloud storage, and they are the world leader right now with about thirty two percent of the global cloud uh, uh, storage. Uh, Microsoft is second with around nineteen twenty percent, then Google Cloud, and then you know, it just goes down from there. This is a service that is on as this next chart shows here a steady growth path. Uh, as things get more and more digitized, there's just no future, no, no question that the future of Amazon uh, or of the sector of Amazon is just going to continue growing. Mm -hmm. When we look specifically at e-commerce, which is uh, obviously a, a growing sector, growing industry, uh, Amazon blows away the nearest competition. Um, interestingly, the, the second place in e-commerce is Walmart today, ahead of eBay, Apple, etc. cetera. Uh, but they've uh, they disrupted, they created the space essentially, and uh, they're, uh, you know, they're just, they're miles ahead. And I believe that they'll continue to grow over the next 20 years. And if we look back over the decades or the decade or so, what we see is the innovation in what they've done. So obviously, they, you know, everybody knows they started as a, as a bookseller, uh, out of the garage and they've just as new opportunities have come up they've been able to innovate and create those new lines of revenue as well um, I, I like the um, I, I like the innovation nature of the company so I don't see that slowing down in 20 years it's a long time but it's also a mm -hmm. short time uh, in the big scheme of things if we look back at their revenues clearly uh, it's just the last few years uh, that they've become a profitable they're kind of famous for in their early years just putting most of their revenues back into building the business and now they're at a position where they're you know pulling in a 386 billion dollars uh, of revenue every year and that's uh, obviously just a massive number from a net income perspective uh, you can just see sort of the the uh, the large increase in the last five years or so uh, so I see this as being a company that certainly will be around in 20 years and when when I look at it from a portfolio mm -hmm. perspective again the, the importance we always <coughs> are buying things and interestingly during the, the COVID-19 pandemic that didn't stop I mean for a brief mm -hmm. period of time but people just leaned uh, onto companies like Amazon to provide that service. So I see this as a, a long runway ahead of it, and I'm comfortable picking Amazon as one of the companies in our portfolio. What are your thoughts on, on Amazon, Brandon? I, lo I love that pick. Like I said, mm. it didn't make my list, but especially the point you mentioned there where, you know, they started as a bookseller and look where they've gone to today. Yeah, yeah. 20 years from now, who knows what's in store, right? But with the, the proven innovation and the proven, proven leadership, it's a company that you can somehow put your faith in that uh, you, you know the, the you never the possibilities are endless with what's coming in the future. So I I really like that pick. Cool, good. 
Well, let's jump into mine, and it's not as exciting as Amazon, but hey, it makes my list. It's the company, TD Bank, ticker TD.TO. <laughs> Another Canadian pick for you guys, so I'm starting off with two Canadian ones. This one trades at just under $90 Canadian at the given point, and this is, of course, one of the highest rated banks out there. In fact, the slide that you're looking at shows within the North American, sorry, the Canadian market and the North American market. But with the Canadian market, they rank number one in many key areas, AUM, deposits, market cap, they are just shy of RBC. It doesn't show here cards outstanding, but that's a very profitable uh, area for banks, obviously. But this is just straight up a leading bank as we know in Canada. But even like even on a North American level, they still have very impressive numbers against some very, very high profile US banks. And that's really impressive when you think about how established some of these other institutions are like south of the border I'm talking about. But this is a stock that a lot of people will say, oh, it's boring, it's not, you know, it's not gonna get me any growth. It sure does give you growth. Even for a younger person like myself, you got the growth aspect, you got the dividend aspect. Just to take a look back over this, I guess, time period, these shares all time are up over, well over 3,000%, 3,468%. And really at the end of the day, our Canadian economy relies on the banks. It is such a crucial part of what we do here in Canada everything we do runs through the banks. Even during a major crisis, this is one thing that I think is really critical about this presentation today, Dad, is that if we look back at things like the financial crisis, I came across a few articles which I can share with you guys. It says, why, doesn't, why didn't Canada have a banking crisis? Or why was Canada exempt from the financial crisis? And don't get me wrong, no one was truly exempt from the financial crisis looking back, but compared to a lot of the banks down south, the Canadian banks actually did so much better and they withstood that crisis so much more. In fact, it says here, not a single major Canadian bank uh, financial institution failed while we had bankruptcies and failures all across the world. And to me, it just goes to show that Canada, the financial system in Canada really is kind of like this pillar of, of resilience is really a way that I would put it. They're very well regulated. Nowadays, you have all the stress tests, which I know are kind of annoying for consumers, but from a business standpoint, they've got the procedures in place to, to thrive for the longevity long-term. So to me, um, this is just an all-encompassing bank. Obviously, you've got all aspects from banking and lending, investment management, self-directed investing, insurance, you name it. What I do like about this is they do have exposure to the US. So although a Canadian bank, um, when you factor in the population of the US, which is, I believe today as of the numbers I got, about 333 million, in comparison to Canada's of about 38 million, it makes sense to have a portion of your business down there. And you get that diversity on a geogra geographical level. I believe they have about over a thousand locations down south and their earnings, about 30% are driven from their US retail division. So obviously this stock for me is a clear cut. It was one of the first stocks that I felt comfortable adding to my portfolio. And if you're a new investor and you're thinking about a stock to own, you can always fall back on the banks in my opinion. Last but not least, I'll mention, you do of course get an amazing dividend currently sitting at about 3.5%. This is a dividend that's grown tremendously over the past 20 years, currently paying $3.11 per year, close to double digit growth rates. Again, this is a no brainer for me and TD Bank would be my pick for, I guess, stock number two here. Uh, totally on board with TD, Brandon. I don't believe that you can go wrong um, with banking in general. I mean, finance or financials is the world's largest uh, yeah. sector when it comes to largest in it's industry. E it's everything, yeah. It, yeah, I mean, we can't, we can't function without it. And um, I agree with you that if, even if you look at the JP Morgans of the world and all of the, the, you know, the huge Asian financial institutions, 
Um, I like what we have here in Canada for a lot of yeah. the reasons that you just don't take it for granted. Yeah, don't, don't take it for granted. Well, I remember being so proud. You know, our our nation was so proud when we hit the credit crisis, and the Canadian banks were kind of the the stellar performers during that time. So uh, I think that TD would be a, a, a great candidate for you know I, I don't know how many different companies we're going to have today, but uh, for five, yeah. I think a Canadian Bank TD would be one of them in there. Awesome. I'm gonna, uh, interesting. I noticed how you've picked two Canadian companies you know to start just get, get them out of the way you know get get, get the Canadian <laughs> ones out of the way that's the way I look at it it's it's interesting because I think latest count Canada is like two and a half or three percent of the world economy um, and so you would expect that uh, out of you know five or you know possibly ten stocks with us that you would have uh, maybe zero Canadians in there but fair thought so my next pick, uh, and uh, going in the concept here again, I cannot sell this company for 20 years and I wanna be able to sleep at night, is a Johnson & Johnson, so J&J. And J&J is another American company. It trades at about $164 US currently. And it trades. It has a market cap of about $432 billion. When I looked at what do you know where what sectors what industries do we need to be in for a portfolio like this while well, healthcare jumps right out to the top obviously as the world's growing we're an aging population and uh, so healthcare is is uh, right at the top with financials in there now i thought okay do we go with a big pharmaceutical company do we go with a company like cvs um or uh, you know like a, an insurance type company i decided on johnson and johnson in this uh, category because it does have the exposure to both the pharmaceuticals. It's all has exposure to uh, the consumer health space. It also has medical devices. So there's a uh, a whole range of that medical uh, field that Johnson and Johnson covers off. So if you look at their revenues, about 45 billion comes from their worldwide pharmaceutical sales. Uh, another four, uh, 23 billion is from worldwide medical device sales. It's something that a lot of people don't even think about when you think of a company like J&J. And then another 14 billion in consumer health sales, like you know the Tylenols, Listerines, Band-Aids, all of these brand names that uh, we we just see every day, but sort of take for granted and don't really think of where they're manufactured. J&J has 28 platforms or products today with over a billion dollars in annual sales. So each of these independent of the other, whether it's a product uh, or whether it is a, uh, a vaccine, for example, uh, 28 products with over a billion dollars. And that's pretty, uh, pretty phenomenal. I mentioned at the outset, one of the things I certainly considered was uh, globally, what is the reach? It's a big place out there. And you just said, you know, Canada, 38 million, roughly the US 380 is somewhere in yeah. that range. Uh, and then you then that's just even that is a small chunk of the world in general. So when I look at a company like J&J, where they do business, you can see by this next chart here, that they have uh, the bulk of their money, 43%, billion $43 billion, rather, comes from the US, they have a big chunk coming from Europe, the Western Hemisphere, ex excluding the US and the Asia Pacific Africa area. And from a distribution area, they have in their segmentation, they have the, the biggest chunk, as I mentioned, 45 coming from pharmaceutical, they have medical devices and consumer health. 
when I look at a company and say, what's going to go, you know, what would we look at going forward? Of course, we can't 100% rely on what's happened in the past. But when you look at a company like J&J, which has, you know, been around seemingly forever, uh, they've obviously proven themselves. And you look at their revenue growth over the last 20 years and their net income, they did have obviously a big hiccup back in 2018. For the most part, they have very reliable revenues that I think you can, um, you can you know, count on there to provide you with, with your money coming in. We're looking at 20 years going out. Triple uh, A credit, one of two companies, I believe Microsoft mm. and Johnson Johnson are one of two companies that, that have a triple A credit rating. Uh, again, coming down to stability, uh, that's important in my eyes. 59 year track record of paying a dividend tells mm -hmm. you sort of the focus on the company through all of the crises we've seen uh, during that time. They've, they've really uh, made a, a point of maintaining that dividend. I will say one of the things that has nagged me with J&J for the last number of years are their their legal issues, and because mm -hmm. of the nature of the business they're in, and they you know they do have some significant uh, headwinds on the legal issues. Now, clearly, if I felt that this would be a you know majorly disruptive uh, issue in the in the company, I, I wouldn't pick them for the next twenty years. When we look at the history of large 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 corpor uh, corporations being uh, sued by individuals or, or groups. Generally speaking, um, they work their way through those, and, and J and J certainly has cash flow. They certainly have the purchasing or the, uh, the the power to manage through these. But it is a flag that I, I am aware of. But factoring everything else in, I still decided that because of mm -hmm. all of the strengths of the company in the medical field, um, it's a company I had to add to the portfolio. So my second pick, I guess today, uh, to go along with yours, Brandon, would be Johnson and Johnson. Yeah, they got the big lawyer teams. They'll just sweep everything under the rug, right? Well, I mean, they'll certainly fight it. And one of the things that, that always happens, you, you you hear the headlines on these where uh, a company, uh, a plaintiff is awarded a billion dollars or five billion dollars. At the end of the day, those are virtually always I mean, slashed by 90%, 95% or even smaller or just, you know, just on, on appeal, uh, just mm -hmm. thrown out altogether. Now, I... I don't play. I'm in the middle here. If if, mm -hmm. if a company deserves to be sued, sue them. And if a plaintiff has been harmed, you know they should be compensated for that. But I I find it hard to understand how a person <clears throat> would have a billion dollar award. But uh, yeah, so it, it's it's uh, normally those big awards are sort of scale back. So I'm comfortable with with that part of the of the business. That's fair. And yeah, Johnson mm. Johnson was not on my list. I think a little slow for my liking, but hey, I totally mm. respect that. Because why don't I jump into mine now, which is definitely sure. my highest risk reward play uh. on this list. And I think this will definitely not make your short list. Hey everybody, it's Brandon here. I'd like to interrupt today's episode very briefly to remind you that if you're looking for more training in the Canadian stock market, don't hesitate to check out our Investing Academy. You can join our private membership group and get access to our top stock picks, trade calls, portfolio insights, and a variety of tools that are helping our members all across the country better their own investing journeys. All it takes is one great stock idea or tip, and that alone can cover years and years of your subscription to our membership group. If you're looking for some additional video training to broaden your knowledge and expand your understanding of the stock market in Canada, we do of course offer a fully video online training program where you can learn from the comfort of your home amongst a variety of students across the country. Both of these products can be found at www.theinvestingacademy.ca where you can sign up for them online or schedule a call with us to learn more. Now back to our scheduled episode. 
Okay. But it's the company, Tencent Holdings, ticker T-C-E-H-Y. I think you knew this one was coming up at some point, Dad. It's trading I wondered, today. yeah. <laughs> it's trading today at $64 USD. And on this chart that you're looking at, it does show the market cap in Hong Kong dollars, um, in Chinese currency. If we were to convert that over to US, however, this is about a $600 billion company at today's levels. And this makes it actually the ninth most valuable company in the world. Now, in my opinion, do not be surprised when this company one day breaches that $1 trillion mark. Like some of the ones we've seen here, to me, this is an inevitability. Um, obviously, it comes with its risks, but I do see that being a very, very clear path for the future. But Tencent, for those that are not familiar, this is obviously a major Chinese uh, tech conglomerate run by Pony Ma, one of the big, big, uh, big, big businessmen over in China. Massive social networking company with instant messaging, WeChat, etc. Also huge in the video gaming field. And this stock has been volatile as of late. I got a lot of people leaving mean comments and whatnot. Um, of course, with China cracking down and even cracking down on the video game sector in particular, especially the tech sector, I should say. But you look at the numbers and here, for example, is their 10-year average return. It sits at 31% compounded, okay? If you take a look at the financials of this company, they're just too attractive for me to pass up on. And this is really across all major metrics. The only thing that I believe really holds this stock back is this uh, regulatory issue, is the political, the geopolitical issues that will always be present. And that's something that you do have to factor in when you're investing in these markets. But I've done so many videos on the channel, actually recently, within the past month or two, if you want to go search those up, just giving my overall thoughts on the Chinese market and how I believe despite the the worries and despite the threats and despite <coughs> all the, <coughs> oh my God, <coughs> despite all the panic that we are seeing here, I truly do believe China will at one point be the strongest economy out there. It will continue to grow. The data does suggest that. And some of these tech giants, I think will go on to be some of the biggest companies in the world. Uh, they already are at nine, at the ninth largest, but I think there's still room to grow. This is a stock that I've personally owned since about 2016, 2017. And even in that short period of holding for about three, four years, I've gone through some pretty big swings with this. So it is going to be a volatile stock. It's one that I think you'd kind of have to close your eyes and it actually kind of works well with our 20 year time frame, where we don't consider panicking. We don't consider selling out when things get rough, but just say, hey, 20 years out, where do we see this company? Let's fast forward there. Is it gonna be much bigger than it is today? I truly, truly believe it is. So that's the company Tencent for me as well. Again, one of my biggest bets in my portfolio. Uh, that's the ticker T-C-E-H-Y. I suspected Tencent would be in there, but I wondered because of the the time frame. So what you just said is very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, the the twenty year time frame could hurt a company like this, or it could help a company like this. And you're obviously uh, more leaning towards all the ups and downs, but you know at the end of the day, it will be it'll do just fine. And so mm -hmm. let things ride out. I'd, I'd encourage the viewers to watch my previous video. I did a video basically talking about all of these regu regulatory changes that are yeah. happening with China and how they're being painted as a as a terrible thing for companies and they're trying to crush these companies. Mm. I actually take a very, very polarizing view in that they're actually making it a better runway for the long term, although mm. it, it will have short term impacts. Yeah, and I, I think we agree. It's funny, we did you and I did a video specifically about some of the differences that we have. Uh, mm -hmm. And Tencent was, I think, one of the stars of that show because um, my, my big um, concern and going back to the 20 year time frame is if I sit here today, will Tencent be around in you know, 20 years from today? Um, mm -hmm. Probably, 
but am I willing to take you know twenty percent of my of my investment portfolio and put it in there? Um, I would say I would too say much, no, just too much, strictly for too that much risk. Yeah, it's that's you know, fair. Uh, you know, I, we've talked about this forever, Brandon. Um, that'll be a home run or a strikeout, kind of one of the two. And right, uh, right now, in, in something like this, I'm looking more for uh, you know the odd double or maybe a triple, but I'm not swinging for the fence with any of the companies that I'm going to put my financial security on for the next 20 years. Um, but uh, we'll see on that one. And uh, from a company, from what they're doing, crazy, crazy good company. Uh, just the the insecurity would would trouble me a little bit. Um, but with that, okay. uh, I'm going. Uh, I'm going to move into my third pick for today, and I'm leaving the U.S. and I'm going overseas to Switzerland. So, based on that, you can probably guess uh, what I'm going to select. Now, when I think of uh, what are we going to do for the next 20 years, we're all going to eat. That's something that people are going to do. So, I, I look to the food industry, and I just said, um, if I had to pick something from the food industry, which I think we should do in a company in, in a in a uh, evaluation like this, yeah. uh, pick food and I pick Nestle. So Nestle is the world's largest food company uh, trading right now on the, uh, it, it does trade in the US market as well as an ADR, uh, trading at um, about $127 US per share. Market cap of this company at $348 billion. You hear a lot when you're talking about investing is buy the things that you know, buy the things that you consume. And you know, right from when you were little, uh, that's kind of one of the, the um, investing tenants that we, that we preach. And when you look at the brand chart of a company like Nestle, um, everybody across the globe practically has a Nestle product or two or more in, in their house, right? From you know, babies all the way up. I, I do like how they have a broad array of, sort of uh, products from you know, the, the stuff that's bad for you, like the uh, the Hagen Dazs ice cream, but in moderation, I guess it's fine. Right through to the healthcare for older people with uh, the healthcare nutrition division that they have. From a geographical perspective, their sales come mostly from the Americas, about thirty-seven billion dollars. Second to that, they have their Europe, Middle East, North African division with about twenty-four and a half billion dollars, and about twenty-two billion coming from the uh, the Asia, Oceania, and the sub. Sub-Saharan Africa. I always have trouble saying that. Uh, coming in at about twenty-two billion dollars, they sell in about one hundred and eighty-six different countries around the world. When you look at the the the, um, the way their business is broken up, they've got uh, largest division is powdered and liquid beverages. They have pet care. They have nutrition. Uh, they have prepared dishes. Of course, I mean everybody will have those in their home. Uh, everybody loves their milk products and their ice cream, confectionery, and water as well. Uh, their revenues, when we have a look back over the last 20 years, uh, have been not amazingly growing. This isn't a, I'm going to shoot the lights out like a possible 10 cent. This is more of a slow and steady wins the race. Very reliable, very uh, dependable. When you look at this sector, the consumer staples sector, specifically in food, with Nestle's diverse product line, uh, and an emphasis that they have now on expanding their healthy meals, and so uh, I think every company has to adapt. I mentioned that earlier. And when we think of Nestle, we don't necessarily think of the healthiest foods, but they sell a lot of them uh, regardless. And they are expanding as the world changes, as people evolve, they're coming in and they're, they're um, looking to expand in the health uh, line as well. And like I say, uh, big in the pet foods uh, division as well. So I, I think um, for all those reasons, Nestle is a company. If you believe that we should have some company that focuses on the the production and, and distribution of food, mm -hmm. Nestle would be my pick. Although there's a million different ones out there. And this was a, 
this was a, a kind of a tough uh, industry to, to narrow it down. But having to pick one, I picked Nestle. What are your thoughts on that, Renan? I like it. It wasn't on my list, and mm. uh, it wasn't even actually a consideration of mine. Mm. I, I think Nestle just kind of gets put it's off a lot of people's radars because you said they are based overseas and a lot mm. of people don't even know you can invest in Nestle without going to the overseas market. Mm. But with the ADR, it makes it very, very possible. And I've considered adding it to my own portfolio back in the day. I never ended up pulling the trigger, but yeah, there's, I don't think there's, you can argue with Nestle. I think it's awesome. I love the snacks. Yeah. Possibly boring, but uh, I want a mixture in this portfolio. <clears throat> 20 years, five companies. I want a mixture of boring and uh, something a little bit more, uh, more exciting as well. Okay, okay. Before we move on to my next pick, guys, I do have a quick word from actually the sponsor of today's video, and it's the company Passive. I've spoken about Passive before on the channel, but they are a partner, and Passive is basically a portfolio management tool that helps you maintain a balanced portfolio, and you can track your performance. All you have to do is connect your brokerage account. It's super simple. You can even do crypto, and you can set these target allocations, uh, kind of like an asset allocation mix that you're aiming for, and you can even follow those and calculate trades within the app. Passive is a free tool to use, but you can upgrade to a Passive Elite account if you do want access like one-click trades and whatnot uh, versus logging into your broker. You can do that all within the platform. If you are a Canadian, you can actually get Passive Elite for free if you have a brokerage account with Quest Trade. They've partnered up with them, and because we do have a good relationship here, I've negotiated a pretty special deal for all of my US viewers, which I know we don't have as many, but they can get access to Passive Elite for one year if you sign up using the link down below. Thank you to Passive for sponsoring today's video. But let's move on into my fourth pick for today, Dad. This is one that I feel we may have overlap. Okay. You know, we kind Fair of have, have some here. It's the company Disney, ticker DIS, trades for $172 a share. Is that one of yours? Uh, it is not. It is not wow. one of my companies. Yeah. That's insane. So not a single overlap thus far away. Well, hey, I like so it. So far, yeah. yeah. But uh, I know Disney is obviously not our most exciting tech company. It's not an Apple or an Amazon. But to me, it's the intangibles with the company Disney that make it so unique. And of course, they are techie now. You got the streaming and that's exciting. But I don't think we should overlook what really Disney is. I guess they're not founded on this. But to me, when I think of Disney, I think to the resorts, I think to the parks, I think to Disneyland, Disney World. I want to go to one in Tokyo in Japan. There's something about theme parks that I think, and this may be a hot take, but I think they may actually get more popular with time. You know, dad, like everyone is trying to stay home with COVID and everyone wants to, you know, go more digital and whatnot. And that's definitely been a trend we've been seeing over the past decade. But I think down the road, whether that's 20 years from now or 10 years from now, I think people are going to actually lean back towards these experiences. You know, you got your family, you got your, your relationship, a couple when you want to go travel. It's like, you know, those memories that you get from actually going to a place like Disney World or Disneyland, there's something special about that. And there's only so many options across the globe where you can go to a huge theme park like that. That's what I mean by those intangibles. Of course, Disney has this massive catalog of characters and movies that's going to provide them with content generation for years and years and years to come. Shang-Chi, you know Shang-Chi, Dad? I just watched that new Chinese movie. Did you watch that one? I bet you didn't watch that one. I did not. You probably don't even know what Shang-Chi is. That sounds like something you might eat at a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> so this was an awesome movie. I'd actually encourage you, if you and Jenny want to go watch it, it was, it was amazing. I came in with low expectations. I would watch it again. It was so good. But this was, of course, one of their new movies. It grossed, I think, it topped $400 million in box office sales 
during a pandemic, all right? People are still not comfortable going out to movie theaters, but that's just massive. They have countless movies coming up, and one that kind of sticks out to me that I saw is like Little Mermaid, right? The Little Mermaid remake, so they can just basically look at these old movies that were made decades ago and just make new and revised uh, versions. And of course, Disney Plus is obviously gonna be big for them. Looking at the numbers, we already know over 100 million subscribers. And if you look at the growth over the past few quarters, we've seen that climb and climb and climb. Maybe COVID has played a role in that. Nevertheless, if you have a family, if you're somebody with children, you know, kids under like the age of 10 or 12 or whatever it is, you're probably gonna have Disney Plus. Like I don't have Disney Plus, but I could see a lot of people having that. And there's obviously gonna be more and more kids and they grow up and there's a new batch of kids. It's just an endless cycle of, of an audience that they can monetize and uh, target. So to me, I think it's just a clear one. Obviously they did cut their dividend during the pandemic and that's something that I think a lot of investors are sad about. But over the next 20 years, over the next two decades, I anticipate that at some point when we get through this pandemic, when they start generating more uh, revenue from their parks and whatnot, it gets back to more of a normal type of life. Um, even though we're getting close to there now, I anticipate that dividend will come back. So at the end of the day, this is a company that we all love. I think it's a very clear one that we can include in the portfolio. And um, for me, I think it's important to invest in companies that you get behind. And that's why I know some people don't like Tencent. I like Tencent. I like video games. I like what they do. Um, obviously, they have their downfalls. But, you know, you pick, you, you kind of resonate with certain companies. And Disney's one that I think everyone can resonate with. But uh, yeah, that's my fourth pick. I surprisingly, Brandon, I didn't have Disney on my radar. Yeah. But when you when you go through what you just was said there, I mean, Disney is one of my favorite company. I, I own right. I own Disney. I just didn't think of it as a company from this perspective here. My, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you, Brandon, for when you put the uh, uh, put this video together to put up on YouTube, a picture of you at Disneyland. And, there you go. Uh, hopefully That'll a real be beautiful. Treat. A real treat for our viewers to put that on there. And certainly, I mean, as a, as a father who, who raised, you know, two, two boys, uh, yeah, Disney was a huge part of our, of our lives during those times. And what I do like about Disney a lot is the fact that they're not just catered to the younger crowd. I mean, Disney has like, yeah. a massive catalog. We think of them as, you know, I think of them as Dumbo and, you know, our uh, uh, Bambi. Bambi and those types yeah. of movies, right? But uh, they have this massive catalog uh, for all ages, and yeah, they're Marvel. They do sports, like people. People ESPN, don't think about that exactly. And now, and yes, so now that they, you know, when you think past, like you know, you said they resonate with you with the theme parks, and and uh, yeah, there's some um, there's some great memories that a lot of children and families have from. Not uh, even from children. I'm I'm 26 years old. I want to go to Disneyland. I'd go to Disneyland right now. Like I, it's a great time. I really do enjoy it. I mean, maybe it, as I get a little bit older, I'll phase off that, but I still do, and uh, I think I always will. I just thought of this because uh, you mentioned them uh, making through the pandemic, you know, doing the, uh, the dividend cut, but they've they survived the pandemic and coming back strong. If I'm not mistaken, I can check the timestamps on it, but I believe the last time that we were at Disneyland was a week or so after the uh, 9-11 um, oh. attacks. Yeah, oh, and wow. Disneyland was was empty because everybody was fearing, uh, you know, further attacks. And so we were there very shortly thereafter and it was great because there were virtually no lineups oh, and yeah. of course you and jesse didn't care you just wanted to go and, and get on the rides and <laughs> yeah and, uh, so i think yeah but great lesson got... great le great lesson that those 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 do fade with time right um, they, they do fade and they'll go through cyclical so I, I i love disney so it's a great pick i would definitely awesome. if we were if we had shared our thoughts ahead of time uh, i would have been an advocate uh, for sure so yeah okay all you here i'm gonna go on to my fourth pick and 
so far we haven't overlapped, but this is going to be as close to an overlap as humanly possible without actually overlapping. <laughs> My fourth pick coming right here to Canada was Royal Bank or is oh, Royal okay. Bank. And so I, I'm not going to go too deep into the into the the reasons because so many of them, Brandon, are exactly the same as what you talked about with yeah. TD Bank. Um, I've often thought that if you're picking a Canadian bank and you're picking, you know, you're trying to decide, flip a coin. If you're if you if it's TD or Royal Bank, you could almost flip a, a coin. And certainly over the next 20 years, um, I would say, regardless of where they're valued today, I, I would say you'd be fine with either of them. So Royal Bank, just a quick review here. It is Canada's, from a market cap perspective, uh, Canada's largest uh, whole, largest bank, trading at around $132 Canadian, market cap of about $188 billion. So as you alluded to, Brandon, just slightly uh, uh, slightly ahead of TD, but they kind of, they're, they're really neck and neck for all intents yeah. and purposes. Um, in addition, and you did touch on this with TD's exposure to the US, um, Royal Bank is one of the 10 largest global banks by market capitalization. And people might not realize this, but they operate in 29 different companies, uh, countries rather, with about 17 million clients uh, across the Jeez. globe. I know you watch basketball and I'm watching a lot of baseball and I, I'm amazed at how often during a sporting event they'll show the background or they'll cut to a commercial and you see either TD or RBC uh, right. on those and, and so they're uh, the huge presence. I remember being in, in uh, New York uh, a few years ago and I was just stunned at how many branches of TD Bank there are on the streets yeah, uh, that you'll true. see there. Um, yeah, from a, uh, diverse, from a diversification standpoint, I mentioned this earlier, they have five sort of major um, sectors or segments that they operate in, personal commercial banking, they have capital markets, wealth management, insurance, and then investor and treasury services, which is the smaller of them there. From a geographical perspective, we just talked on this, about 60% almost of their revenue comes from Canadian operations, but fully a quarter, 26% comes from the US markets and 16 beyond that. I was also going to talk about, and I think we may have even referenced one of the same articles, an article I had here, why Canada didn't have a banking crisis back in 2008. Huh, that's funny. Um, yeah, and uh, I, I just put, uh, put up one of their, uh, we can put up on the screen here, one of their charts, of, they call it prudent risk management. But when you look at things like the quality of their loans, or you know the, um, the, impaired, rate, the impaired loans ratios that they have to keep up, when you when you look at their uh, provision for credit losses ratios on impaired loans, and you look at uh, you know how that how strong those numbers are, it gives mm -hmm. me a lot of a lot of comfort from a revenue perspective. I mean, just what you'd want, just growing revenues, growing net income, very very well managed company. They do pay as TD does a strong uh, dividend as well. And importantly, in this era that we're living in, they are placing a high emphasis on building out their digital platforms. Uh, I can't remember the last time I was actually in a bank. Uh, oh, I do, because I had to go into a bank to sign a piece of paper once that they couldn't do digitally. But other than that, um, you know, you don't go in. So yeah. whether it's your your mobile phone, whether it's an online platform on your, on your desktop, um, that's such a huge part of efficiencies, building that out. And so uh, Royal Bank is right in there. So again, without getting a lot of overlap from what you talked about with yeah. TD there, uh, Brandon. So if you're picking one, I, I would just as happily pick TD as RBC uh, when I'm choosing a bank to represent the financial sector um, in, in the uh, in the world out there. Maybe we'll get a vote in from the audience. Are you team TD or are you team Royal Bank? Because I, um, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you there. It's like picking straws between the two. Uh, I do, I, of the two though, I would still lean with TD just from personal 
reasons, I just like TD better, but that's just my own personal experience. There's probably a lot of people that would choose RBC over TD for their own personal experience, but like you said, it's right. it's neck and neck. It's basically, I, I maybe I can find a, a chart of it, but you look at how they perform over long periods of time, and not just TD Royal, but the entire banking sector, very, very <laughs> similar. So hey, yeah. uh, leave a comment down below, but let's dive on into my final stock for today's mm. video. This is our last opportunity for overlap, Brandon. I can't, I really can't believe this. Like I cannot believe this. I mean, it's yeah. I, it's good and it's good in a sense. I mean, it, it is. And when we first came up with this idea, I thought I thought well, we'll really home in on like a, a short list. But there are a lot of really good companies out there, and so I found this to be quite a struggle to get yeah, it down it to tough. to the to, to five only. Uh, but we're at eight now, so uh, your fifth the final two pick well, is hey, my final pick is the company Alphabet, ticker G-O-O-G, trading for $2,780. Please tell me you don't didn't pick Alphabet. I didn't pick Alphabet, but of wow. course it had to be on my short list. But no, we did I it. didn't. No. Well, we, we did it, <laughs> 10 stocks here. Um, and yeah, it, it the short list came so, so close because when I was looking at the FANG stocks, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, even Microsoft, uh, which ooh, I, I just thought, I think I know what your last pick is. That just never, not going to spoil it, but I, that's my guess. Um, it was very hard to narrow down. And like I said, I'm fully behind your Amazon pick, uh, but Google for me is just the one that stuck out. What I found to be actually quite interesting is I put up an overlay basically um, to see how these other, these FANG stocks have performed. And Google and Facebook have been the lowest growers of the bunch. You know, Apple has done so well. Netflix done mm-hmm. so well. Amazon done so well, and I kind of like that. I don't know if that's a weird thing or not. It, I don't want to chase the gains that we've already seen. I'm trying to look 20 years out, and don't get me wrong, again, Amazon has so much potential. Um, Apple, I love, 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 but there's something about Google that really stuck out to me, and what I think, I referenced this earlier in the video, that I said this is why I didn't pick Amazon. What I I think is gonna become more and more important over the coming years is the stigmas behind the companies. You know, kind of like how people view them, right? And I know that's kind of funny to say because I talk about a company like Tencent, but within the North American market, within like the FANG stocks, you know, you have so many haters that hate Amazon. Like you got all the people that are against Bezos and they don't like Amazon and they're against it. Even Apple has their group of haters, right? You got the Android users and there's so many people that just don't like Apple just because they don't like Apple. Facebook, uh, we don't need to get into that. Like, come on. (laughs) But Google, like, again, Google to be that this is the one that does that gets the least amount of hate. You know, it's I consider it loved by everyone. Of course, there's a bunch of people that won't like Google, especially if you live kind of through the past number of years. But comparing to the others, I think they have the best kind of brand name to them. And that is, I do believe actually quite important. I think that will be a factor in the years to come. As we mentioned, you know, 20 years from now, who knows where these companies are going to be, right? There's so many possibilities. There's so many areas that we can't even think about right now that they may tap into. And for it to be a company that has the support of just people and the public, I think that's something that we really shouldn't overlook. Uh, this is an interesting way of viewing things, but I kind of thought of looking at the digital space kind of like real estate. So when you go on the computer and you, you're browsing the internet or whatnot, you know, there's only a set number of eyes out there in the world and they get directed to certain places. And I think Google owns a lot of this digital real estate. When you think about obviously their search platform, so Google, like Google, Google, um, obviously, YouTube, like they've got these sections of the digital world kind of cornered out. And 
they're at the point now where they're so established that of course there will always be competitors. You know, you always have, you know, the MySpaces, which at one point were huge. And I, it's not to say that these companies are, you know, safe from everything, but I think that we're at a point, a tipping point where they've kind of established themselves as these presences, these leaders in the space where the traffic goes, where we spend our time online. And of course, what that all boils down to at the end of the day is that they can generate more advertising dollars on, you know, the YouTube ads and the Google ads and whatnot. It's huge. Uh, aside from just the traffic, we all know Google. I don't think we need to talk about it all too much, but there are so many, you know, areas beyond YouTube and Google, you know, Gmail, um, Google Maps we use every time we're on vacation without even thinking about it. You mentioned the cloud there and AWS obviously is huge. Google Cloud, hey, still very respectable. And I think more on a personal level, a personal consumer would use Google Cloud versus AWS, again, two different markets. But on top of that, you have obviously the new and exciting areas like the EVs, uh, partnership with Waymo, um, you know, they've got their, their moonshots or their other bets divisions, which who, who knows what's in store, but what's important to that with me is if you look at their balance sheet, for example, cash position of $135 billion, that cushion allows you to go into these, you know, different areas, right? You, you, you can take these other bets. You can try things. You can try the Google glass. And if it fails, it fails. You can get into the phone space. If it fails, it fails, but you got that cushion, you got that backing. And you take a look at this company's cash flow. It grows year after year. There's just more money they have to put into these areas. So for those kind of reasons, I think it's actually, I would say almost a safer bet within the technology space. If that's fair to say, I don't know if you'd agree with me there, dad, but I am team Google. Um, I like the branding behind Google. I got into Google f only during the pandemic, uh, maybe slightly before, uh, which was my first time owning the stock, but I see myself owning it for 20 years and it's been a good performer since. I, I expect that to continue for the coming years. Yeah, I uh, do not disagree with you at all. Uh, Alphabet was on my shortlist as well. Uh, yeah. Again, for all the reasons you just articulated there and there's, there is a lot, there's way more depth, way more depth behind the company way than more depth. a lot of people, way more depth. And I haven't looked at the Waymo uh, advances in the last few months, but yeah. I think people would be surprised at how advanced those vehicles are. Um, you know, as far as autonomy, the level of autonomy, I think they're uh, right up there at the top. So, agreed. Uh, lots well, to hey, come. Yeah, sorry, go for it. Yeah, lots to come in the future. L lots to come. So, yeah, definitely a company that was hard not to put on my final uh, five, but uh, yeah, I'm glad you picked it. So, we have a quite a well-rounded uh, portfolio building so far. Well, hey, finish it off. Let's see what the last one is. I will finish it off. And and you, it's funny because you talked about um, companies and you're concerned about the stigmas that companies uh, develop. And I think that's so true. Now, the company that I picked for my fifth uh, pick today is almost over the decades, a leader in stigma. And the company is Walmart, uh, the mm -hmm. world's largest retailer. Um, now, clearly, it's a retailer, it's, it's bricks and mortar. You know, Walmart is a $418 billion company right now, but they have $560 billion in annual revenue, which is by wow. far um, the, the largest. And uh, there's a slide I, I showed earlier talking about um, Amazon and how the second largest e-retailer now, or e-commerce, uh, in the world is uh, is Walmart. And so when you look at the evolution, I, I, there's two ways that Walmart could go. They could be, okay, we're stuck in our old ways and you know, you're know you gonna have to come into the stores forever, which I think people will 
people want to go to the stores, um, but they also are, are adapting, and that's huge. I think I said at the outset, you have to be able to adapt, especially over a, a two-decade time period. So when I look at a portfolio, I think Walmart deserves a spot in there for the reliable uh, income. When you look at those locations that they have, they have 5,300 plus stores in, a, in the U.S. alone. And then when you look at their global reach, they have, you know, Mexico is the, the largest secondary market with about 2,600 stores. And you'll see Central America, United Kingdom, it goes right down about 408 stores in Canada. Very, very large global presence as well. I, if you look simply at their revenues, now there's, I, again, this is one of those companies where you're not seeing a huge spike like in a few years. I think the revenue that we can see from Walmart here is just a, a classic, the way you want a company to build once it's matured. And, and we're certainly there uh, with Walmart. I, when I look at just the, the portfolio as a whole, when I think of, okay, if you're gonna buy these companies and you cannot sell them for the next 20 years, um, I think Walmart is a company that uh, it des I think it deserves a spot. Um, certainly not exciting, and I know from a, a, a voting perspective, uh, some people might just say, uh, you know, I'm not interested in owning a company that's as old uh, as Walmart. But I don't think they're out. I don't think they're done. I think that their stream is going to continue to grow, and especially like I say, as they adapt to the new way of doing things, uh, yeah. I, th I think uh, I think it deserves a spot there. So uh, I'm going to stick with with Walmart there and. That will sort of wrap up our our ten, as it turns out, ten different companies, yeah. five each. Uh, wow! I, what I'd like to do as a follow up video is you and I can just have these discussions in more depth and narrow it down. It, it would be really, really hard. That would <laughs> be so hard. Yeah, it would be hard. But I think the whole exercise here for those who are still with us, because it's it'd probably be a pretty long video here, are what are the characteristics? What are the traits that you would want to look at? when you're building a portfolio. Now clearly you're not limited to five companies and you can trade, but you do wanna, you know, we always, we liken it to buying shares of a company. So, you know, I, from when you were little, I would always instill in your head when you're buying shares of Coca-Cola, you own part of Coca-Cola. You're not just buying a ticker that you can trade in and out. You can, but that's not the theory going in. So, uh, you know, you, you want to make sure that you have the stability. You wanna make sure that you're in a growing sector, um, growing industry. Uh, and times do change. We'll see where we're at. I don't think we're going to do a follow-up in 20 years, old, Brandon. Can we agree on that? <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. But yeah, what a, what a great what a great way to summarize that. We got to think like investors, like an investor, yeah. truly investing in a business, not looking at it for the tickers. That's awesome, Dad. Well, thank you guys so much for sticking around. If you have, if you stuck around for this entire video, I'm looking at it. We're we're pushing an hour, wow. so that's insane. Yeah. But you know what? It flew by because I'm having so much fun. This was awesome. honestly a lot of fun. I still I can't believe we didn't have any overlap. But uh, nevertheless, if you are a viewer that is sticking around, let us know down in the comment section below. That is awesome. If you made it all the way through, we appreciate the support. If you found this video helpful and enjoyed it by any anyway, just drop a big thumbs up because yeah, that helps the channel out so much. That's a great way of supporting us too. And uh, yeah, if you're new to the channel and watching us for the first time, make sure you subscribe because we post videos like this every single week. But yeah, 20 uh, year follow up, maybe we'll, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll see how that one goes. But um, maybe hey, a maybe. progress report after five years or something, but something like that. Yeah. yeah. But that's, but that's awesome. I love the picks, dad. Um, I hope you liked mine, but I did. Um, yeah. 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 No, this was well, this was a ton of fun. This was a real, yeah. real fun doing this. Hard, so, yeah. hard video to put together, but fun. I think yeah. really sure. good. And, and hope, I, Oh, what I would love to see is um, if you're still watching of these 10, 
Mm-hmm. What would your portfolio look like? And as you said yeah. earlier, Brad, I mean, what else? There's so many companies that, that we could have put in here. So but I'd be curious, of these 10, what five would, would you pick? That'd be awesome to see, to see what the thoughts are on that. Leave your discussion down in the comment section yeah. below. I will remind you guys, just wrapping up, as always, we do have our investing academy. So uh, if you are someone that wants courses and training <coughs> in the stock market, there's a link down below in the description. You can check out all that. We work with Canadians in particular, and we offer online training for beginners, for more advanced investors. We even have a private membership group where you can follow along with our trades and kind of see what we're doing uh, on a day-to-day basis. Join the discussion, everything. That's all down below. But I think we'll wrap up there, Dad. As always, I thank you guys so much for watching. Really good to see you. And um, yeah, I guess I'll see you soon. Well, yeah. Hopefully, uh, hopefully yeah. another video, but I'll probably see I'll be down in the lower mainland again before too long. So, before too long, awesome. Well, thank you guys for watching. Hope you enjoyed, and we'll see you in the next video.